0: Tony Hines here and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast all about supply chain advantage and it's great that you can join us today. This is the News Roundup, all things impacting global supply chains this week. Well, the news this week is that the United Kingdom's inflation rate has fallen from 10.4% to 10.1% and it's food prices that are keeping it high. Apparently food prices have increased during the past year by 19.2%. And anybody going to the supermarket will tell you they know already. Bank of England's being pushed to push up interest rates yet again, but it doesn't seem to be having the impact they'd hoped for presently. But many think that the Bank of England has been too slow to make the changes when needed. Elsewhere in Europe, interest rates have also fallen, but again, not significantly. Inflation in the United Kingdom is the highest in Europe. Consumer prices have risen annually. 10.1% according to the Office of National Statistics. But that's down from 10.4% in February, but above the 9.8% forecast by economists. Milk, sugar and olive oil prices were all around 40% higher than a year ago. Britain's headline March figure was the highest in Western Europe and the only one at 10% or above. Austria was the record holder back in February. It's likely that Britain will suffer higher inflation for longer than its peers. And the things that are being blamed, of course, are diminished workforce following the COVID-19 pandemic. I would also add to that Brexit. I mean, that's missed out here, but that's been significant too. Heavy reliance on natural gas for power and heating. And the trade and labour market frictions caused by Brexit. And those are pretty bad. No one wants to talk about it. They all shy away from that Big question, but it looms over all the time. It's inevitable that if you damage trading relations by a self-inflicted process, that you're going to have problems. And friction in supply chain is a big issue. And so if you introduce it voluntarily, well... The UK now has an inflation problem. It seems to be more persistent than the Europe and the United States. It's a reminder of what life was like back in the 1970s, when... Britain was the sick man in Europe with very high inflation. Is that about to be repeated? UK food and drink inflation is the highest it's been since 1977. It hit 30% at that time, and it's not quite that bad yet. It's 19.2%, but we don't want it to go any higher. Last week, the International Monetary Fund forecast that inflation would average 6.8% in Britain this year, the highest of any major advanced economy not much more above Germany, where the forecast rate is said to be 6.2%. In March, the Bank of England said it expected inflation to fall significantly in the second quarter. In February, the Bank of England had forecast that it would be 9.2% for March, but it's eight points above that at 10%. I know forecasts are always wrong and slow, and it's sometimes not sensible to panic about the situation, but it's not looking good presently. And of course, all the... Disruptions due to strikes in the United Kingdom are an added problem. All kinds of public service employees are striking. That goes from the health service to the railways to the Royal Mail to all kinds of people, teachers, university lecturers and so on. So lots and lots of problems with the UK labour market presently. And add to that the shortage of workers and not only is inflation rising, but unemployment's shown a small rise during February too. So the economy is not growing at present as much as it needs to. In Europe, the central bank is forecast to raise interest rates by 25 or 50 points at the next opportunity. And that's to curb inflation, which is running at a headline annualised consumer rate of 69 and if we take away unprocessed food and fuel, it's 7.5%. Eurozone inflation in, did fall last month, but the underlying readings remain high. Consumer inflation in the 20 nations sharing the euro eased to 69 from 8.5%, primarily on a rapid fall in energy cost, as natural gas prices keep declining after their surge a year ago, after the invasion by Russia of Ukraine. But the European Central Bank is concerned that high energy costs have seeped into the broader economy and linger in everything from services to wages, making inflation more difficult to bring under control. The next meeting when interest rates could be hiked is May the 4th. US annual inflation reduced to 5% last month. This is the slowest rate of price increases since 2021, when they first began to climb. The CPI, which measures the price of a basket of goods and services, showed the rate easing off over the last year. In February, the annual inflation figure stood at 6%, already a steep decline from its high of 9.1% back in June. Core inflation still looks volatile because of energy and food prices. But a sign that things are slowing could be attributed to the reduction in gas prices from a year ago and the fall in oil prices from then to. Housing is still the largest contributor to the price increases over the last few months, and that's risen by 0.4% in the last month, with an 8.2% rise over the past year. Further interest rate hikes are expected from the Federal Reserve. They're still looking at raising the interest rate to make sure that inflation does get squashed. So we'll wait and see. Now we seem to be living in a time of disruption. And we don't need to be reminded constantly about that. We know we are. And we know supply chains are severely disrupted, although they've become smoother in the past few months. So it'll take time following the pandemic for global supply chains to become more normalised. But the geopolitical tensions, of course, is putting pressure on those global supply chains with Russia in Ukraine, with China posturing in the South China Sea, around Taiwan, and all kinds of other tensions that are happening. So the landscape doesn't look as if it's going to change imminently. But the thing that's also struck me this week is that we live in a world of protest now too. And particularly in the United Kingdom, the protests are becoming more frequent, and some might say a little more crazy than perhaps they used to be. Although that's all about perspective, isn't it? But in the past week here, we had a Protest from animal rights activists at the biggest horse race in the country, the Grand National at Aintree, that disrupted the race for 15 minutes or more and obviously put the horses under pressure. Then there was the situation with the protest at the World Snooker Championships in Sheffield, where Just Oil protesters stopped the competition for some time by throwing orange powder onto the snooker table. Well, These are easy targets, and the concern is that these disruptions also play out on major highways. We had a lot of just-oil protests last year. They're becoming more frequent, and they are disrupting everyday lives of people, and of course, supply chains, because traffic has to travel on the roads where the protests happen. And if it can't, it delays matters. So, is that the future? Are we likely to see more and more protests? against all kinds of things that social groups don't like. And of course, what makes it easier for protesters these days is the social media. They can contact each other through social media and they can become groups that communicate regularly and organise protests more efficiently, perhaps, than in the past. When these protests occur, of course, it adds to everybody's cost. It will cost you more in terms of time if you're travelling to work, if there's a protest... It will delay you. You might spend more on fuel because you're stuck in traffic for longer. And of course, if it's an event that's disrupted, then the event organizers have to pay higher costs. They might have to pay compensation for delay to a competition, or they might have to pay higher insurance for security. They might have to incur higher security costs, and they might have to pay higher insurance too as a result of the event being targeted. So it's not helpful to the businesses involved, but it is about political protest. It's important in a democracy to be able to protest. Nevertheless, some would argue that the way you protest is important, and perhaps the protest has to be disruptive to gain traction. But I wish people's lives, who have nothing to do with the protesters as such, could run more smoothly. We've had enough disruption in the past two years without in this post-pandemic period, introducing more disruption to people's everyday lives and hitting businesses, which are already hard hit. So just have a little thought about that next time you protest and think about better ways to do it. The good thing about living in a democracy, of course, is that you can protest and you can protest against the government, the leaders of the country, without suffering the consequences of being put on trial and being put in prison for 25 years, like in Russia. Tesla has cut the price of its electric vehicles for the Model 3 and the Model Y for the sixth time in a year. There are some concerns that profitability will be impacted by this, but if you want to increase sales and the market's flat, then maybe discounts are a good thing. At least you get rid of your inventory. And you get some sales revenue and cash flow, all important to business. Makes the world go round. Knowing when to discount, of course, is quite a trick. It's a bit like making a substitution in a soccer match at a crucial point in a game. Only time will tell if Tesla have made the right call. 90% of the world's global output in rice is consumed in the Asia-Pacific region. Rice is a staple commodity across multiple markets in Asia, and prices are the major factor when it comes to food price inflation and food security, particularly for the poorest. The poorest people pay proportionately more for their food than middle-income and richer people. The shortage of supply of rice as a result of the war in Ukraine, as well as bad weather and crop failures in places like China and Pakistan, is the major cause of the shortfall in availability for rice. China was plagued by heavy summer monsoon rains and floods in Guangxi and Guangdong province, which are major hubs of the China rice production supply chain. And we have the highest prices for 20 years. Pakistan, which supplies 7.6% of global rice, saw annual production plunge 31% year on year due to the severe flooding. So as harvests fall... Supply falls and, of course, prices rise. The biggest importers of rice, Indonesia, the Philippines, Malaysia and African countries in 2023. And many of those will have shortfalls in the supplies they can acquire. Rice is particularly tighter than other grains. While prices will rise this year, it's expected they will fall by about 10% in 2024, making a hundredweight $15.50. In 2024. But in the meantime, in the interim, the prices will be slightly higher. Now, it was interesting to read that since June, federal officials have seized 961 million US dollars worth of goods over suspected ties to forced labor, according to customs and border protection officials in the US. Companies are receiving detention notices and they stand to lose millions of dollars while goods remain in the ports. The detained items include by dollar value, electronic items, apparel, footwear, textiles and agricultural products. And it's all about forced labour. Forced labour laws prevent merchandise from being made with forced labour. But this is ignored by some producers and suppliers and they still try to produce goods using forced labour. The enforcement falls under the UGA Forced Labour Prevention Act, the UFLPA, which was signed into law by President Joe Biden late in 2021. The law prohibits imports of goods produced or sourced in the Xinjiang region of China from entering the US economy. China's come under intense criticism for the treatment of the Uyghur minority. Not just a supply chain issue for the country, but a security issue. Some goods get released after checks, but many remain. Electronics is worth 841 million, that's held up, Apparel, nearly 30 million US dollars, and industrial manufacturing materials, 39 million dollars, and then agricultural products, about 12 million US dollars. So the customs authorities are really cracking down on these items and uh, stopping them from entering the market. Now let's just have a final word about inflation and the problem of inflation for supply chains. And I want to just make the point that when the general rate of inflation, the basket of goods, rises by a specific amount, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything in your supply chain is rising by that particular inflation figure. Some items might raise by more, and some items might raise less. And not everybody has the inputs to their production system that are driven by inflation. If you consume food as part of your process, or agricultural products, then it probably is driven quite a bit by inflation and if you've got energy costs for fuel and transportation then that's likely to drive costs upwards too. But if you have other items that are rising at less than the general rate of inflation and it's a high proportion of your supply chain it's unlikely that your particular supply chain will be at the rate of general inflation. So not everybody needs to raise their prices at this time and I do get the feeling that some firms and some organisations are jumping on the bandwagon and seeing this as an opportunity to raise their prices. So, customers, beware. Well, that's it for this week's news roundup. I hope you've caught up with all the news that's been going on while you've been busy in those supply chains this week, and I'll see you next time. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now. The Chain Reaction Podcast is written, presented and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage.